Okay, so folks, we're going to get into the next problem today that Paul is addressing. And it's something that we're going to find out today that they had asked him about. They specifically asked Paul to give them some instructions concerning this. So if you think about it, we're dealing with a church where they've got some problems. Okay, so remember the first problem is, is they're fighting among themselves, focused on leaders, okay? Then they got an individual who is doing something that even the culture doesn't do, okay? Who's having an, a sexual immoral affair with his stepmom, okay? Which he said that time that even the Gentiles don't do that. You say, well, that happens today, George. Well, we're talking 2,000 years ago, okay? That wasn't acceptable 2,000 years ago. But they seem to think it was okay just to accept people who are doing wrong, and he talks to them about how they're supposed to deal with it. Then he gets into, we looked at this last week, he talked about, well, this is the week before, about lawsuits, the issue of suing other Christians. We talked about what that means, what it doesn't mean. Uh, then we looked at the issue of freedom. I have freedom to do whatever, but freedom's not necessarily a good thing because it can dominate you. And you definitely don't have freedom in the whole sexual immorality issue, okay? Where your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to Jesus. So now he's going to get into, are you ready for this, marriage and singleness, okay? And we're going to take two weeks here, marriage and singleness. So we're going to focus today on chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. So we're in lesson 11 today, marriage and singleness, the first part. So let's talk about marriage and celibacy. Celibacy is close to the reality of being single, but also not having any kind of sexual relationships, okay? So I want you to notice with me verses 1 through 9. Here's what Paul writes. Now concerning matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God one of one kind, one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, that it is good for you to remain single, as I am. But if you do not exercise self-control, you should marry. For it is better to marry, marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. 
and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Likewise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Wow, a lot of stuff here. It's going to be some interesting discussion today, okay? So I think I'm ready, so let's do this together, okay? So, all right, so Paul is addressing an issue the Corinthians wrote about, okay? So he's now going to turn to something that they are asking questions about. So they're asking questions about the whole issue of marriage, probably what is going on. And this, this in the early church, this is... Uh, this happened a lot. There were probably some who felt like they should get married, they shouldn't get married, and uh, th those who were married. He just said sexual morality is wrong. So remember, they're living in Corinth, which is like Las Vegas on steroids. And so he's saying you can't get involved in sexual immorality, so what do we do? Should we marry? Should we not marry? So forth. So he's, he's got, trying to answer some questions here. So Paul affirms that celibacy, that is, not having any sex is good, okay? It's good. And, and that actually is still true to this day, all right? Celibacy is good. Now, usually when we talk about singleness, our culture doesn't like single people. Have you noticed that? And to church culture. Our church culture doesn't usually like single people. Anybody know why? I don't know if I agree with that, George. Does anybody know why we don't like single people? Because we always want them to do what? Yeah, we always want them to get married. And if they're not married, I just had somebody tell me this this week. Oh, they should find somebody. They're, they just don't seem complete. Did, you, know, did you ever had anybody say that? Okay, ever heard that? I mean, am I? Am I telling you guys something brand new? Is this totally new? You've never heard of the pressure put on single people to what? Get married, especially in church, right? For some reason in church, we feel that everybody needs to be what? Married and happy, okay? Right? Well, so, no, no comments? Well... <laughs> okay. okay, I was waiting for somebody to say something, okay? <laughs> okay. Yes, Lori. We're uncomfortable with single people, yes. Okay. Yeah, let's be honest, because there is a difference between somebody who's single and somebody who's married. 
as far as uh, how they relate to things and so forth. And Lori and I noticed that when we first got married. I'll give you an example. So when we first got married, our life changed. So now we're completely different than our single friends. Why? Because we're married. But then we went to that little, her, her home church over in, near Smicksburg, and uh, we, we noticed something that while we're married, we're different than the single people. We're also different than the people who have kids. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Because you might be married, but you don't have kids. And so then we have kids, but now it's different because you, you, you are married with kids, so you, you're different than the people who don't have kids, and you're different than the people who aren't married. But you're not on the same level as the parents who have what? Teenagers. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Because they're in a whole different world. And then now that you get teenagers, you're not like the parents who have, like you said, grandparents. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And so there is that level of, of relating to each other and so forth. And a lot of times we have a hard time relating to single people, and single people have a hard time relating to married people. Because a single person's focus is only on who? Yeah, on, on themselves, right? Yeah, okay. So he's, he's affirming that it's okay to be celibate. It's okay to be single, okay? It's okay. It's, it's okay not to want to engage in sexual things, okay? Let's go on. He encounters, he encourages people to marry to avoid sexual immorality. Now, if you've got it under control, that's okay. Be single then, Paul's saying. But if you don't have it under control, if your passions are too great, and especially think about where they're living. They're living where, folks? Corinth, Las Vegas on steroids. Temples are everywhere, hundreds and thousands of of uh, prostitutes everywhere, sexual immorality is everywhere. You, I, I hate to see what the, the murals were around there in that time. We, well, we kind of know from Pompeii. Remember Pompeii, the, the city that was buried by the volcano? They're excavating it. They're actually, it's quite shocking. They say what the, what the houses were painted with, the sexual imagery and so forth. And this is Corinth. And so he's saying, if you can't handle it, if your passions are too great and you can't handle celibacy and being single, then what? Get married. Okay? Get married. Now, marriage was different than how we view it today. What do you mean? You didn't necessarily marry because you love somebody. In fact, this is, can I be honest with you, a lot of cultures today Marriages are arranged. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Our Western concept, our romantic idea of marrying for love, that's what drives us in our Western culture. That's not true today, even in Paul's day. Okay, so he's saying marry. All right, now let's go on. Spouses are responsible to satisfy each other's sexual needs. And so he's, he's basically saying that here. Each of you are responsible for helping each other. Why? Because you live in a world, and especially think about the world they're living in. They're living in a world where what is outside of the bounds of their home? Anything goes. Okay? And probably he's already said that some of them were engaged in those kind of activities before they came to Christ anyhow, right? He's already said that to them. So he's saying... You were responsible. All right, now, 
Physically, your body belongs to your spouse. Physically, your body belongs to your spouse. That's what he's saying here. Now, let me just stop for a moment. When we read this, this can be taken to an extreme that is wrong. Does everybody understand that? Sometimes spouses can use this as a weapon, these scriptures as a weapon. And that's wrong. That's not the point he's trying to make here, is that you beat this, you beat your spouse over the head and say, well, you're supposed to do this for me. This is what God says. You know, this is, this, he's given a principle here. He's trying to help you because you're living in a world where you're going to be possibly what? Tempted. Okay, let's go on. Through marriage, a person is no longer independent. Now, are you aware of that? If you're married, you know that. You're no longer independent. You just can't go and do your own thing anymore. If you want that, then stay single. When you are married, you don't have that independence anymore. Okay? So that's the point he's making here. So he gives a warning. Okay? A warning we find in verse 5. The first part of verse 5. Here's what he says. He says... Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. So he's saying here we're warned not to deprive our spouses of their sexual fulfillment. So you and I have a responsibility because we live in a world that is what? Depraved, right? No, not in our culture, George. We live in a perfect culture. Do we? No, not at all, right? Okay, so we have a responsibility to help each other out. All right, now here's the concession. He's going to make a concession here. So he, for them, it was a concession. It's a concession for you and I. He's saying here, Paul allows a mutually accepted period of abstinence for spiritual refreshment. Okay? It's okay to say, no, we're not doing this. I need some time. All right? For spiritual refreshment here. Now, this should only be, now notice now, he qualifies this and says it should only be for a short period in order to what? Avoid Satan's temptation. Okay? Because this is a strong area. Because now remember, if you are choosing the life of singleness and celibacy and you can handle that, be single. But if you can't handle it, be what? Married. But if you have a situation in marriage where there's there's no, nothing going on, then the guy who married or the gal who married to avoid the sexual temptations is now faced with what again? Sexual temptation, right? But now that you're married, you should be what? Caring for each other to help them. That's his point here, okay? That's the point he's making here. Now, anybody got a question or a comment or a brick you want to throw right now? I mean... Maybe I got a thought. What's Paul's concern here? What's his overall concern? Anybody grasp what his overall concern is here? That's the issue. You understand his instruction here is to guard who from sexual temptation? Yeah, all of us. That, that's the overall issue here. 
And the number one issue, the number one aid to helping us to avoid sexual temptation is where? In the bounds of what? Marriage. And if you can't handle it, get married, he says. And then when you're in marriage, you guys got to come to some sort of agreement together where you recognize each of you has a responsibility to help each other out to face what? The temptation. That's really the overall issue here. Did you understand what I'm saying? Is that you help each other out. Do you understand? And if you're going to not, then it's got to be agreed upon. It's got to be a mutual discussion. It can't be a dictatorship. You know, it's got to be a discussion here. That's what's going on here. That So the overall issue, okay? So anybody else got a thought there or a question? Paul is not giving this concession as a command. He's not giving it as a command. He's saying it as a suggestion because Paul here's his situation look with me again verse 7 here's what he says I wish that all were as I am what, what is he single not married he wishes that they were all like him okay so he's saying that he wishes before that the other part. What he's saying is not commanding you. He's just giving that concession of a period of abstinence as a suggestion, something you could do, but it's going to have to be decided upon you. This is not God's word, okay? You can't say, I'm going to fast for 10 days, so forget it. That's not what he's saying here. You have to come to some sort of agreement. Now we get to where he talks about himself. Here's what he says. He wishes they were all like him. Okay, meaning single, celibate. But we're not all like him, right? We're not all. So he points out that, that God gives the gift of marriage or singleness. Now this is what we need to remember. God gives people gifts. Grace sometimes is another word that he uses for gifts here. He graces you, he gives you the gift of what? being married or being single. So he gives the gift to some of being single, so therefore they can face the temptation because God has gifted them to do that. But for some, he gives them the grace of what or the gift of what? Being married. Did you understand what I'm saying? Being married. You know, I've talked to a lot, through the years of pastoring, I've talked to a lot of different seniors who have been married and one of the things I've often heard from them, especially with men, is dread. Dread. What would they be dreading? Death? No. Not their death. The death of their spouse. They dread the thought of being single again. Do you, do you understand? And not having that companionship. I've heard those things through the years. And I, and, I, and I thought about it, yeah, it would be hard. Hard not to have, especially if you've been gifted by God to what? Be married. Do you understand what I'm saying? To have a companion. Now there are some, this is what we got to grasp sometime in church, they're gifted to be what? Like Paul. Be single. Do you understand what I'm saying? But then a lot of us don't have that gift. Do you understand? A lot of us don't have that gift. We have the gift of being married. Okay, now, 
Here's what he encourages for the unmarried and the widows, okay? He encourages the unmarried and the widows to remain single. So he's encouraging them, just remain single. But he's going to again tell you that's not going to be true in every instance. Why? Because look again, verse 9, here's what he says in verse 9. He says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to what? Burn with passion. So if you can't handle sexu the sexual temptations, then what? Get married, okay? So they should marry if temptation of sexual immorality is great. So that's what he's saying. If, you, if you're single or a widow, remain single or a widow. Remain unmarried. But if you can't handle it, and folks, can people not handle it? Yeah, people can't handle it. it, it we're humans, right? You know, it's better to marry than to what? Burn with passion. And, and that's an interesting point here. Burn is like something on fire, and, and, and it's a consuming thing. Passion can be consuming, right? Especially when you're faced with sexual temptation. So now he's going to get into the whole issue of divorce. So let's talk about this one. This will be interesting. Look with me at verse 10 through 16. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So what he's meaning here when he says, not I, but the Lord, remember he said, he made some suggestions. He said it wasn't from God before, but now he's saying, I'm going to tell you some things. This is from God. All right, it's not from me. All right, here's what he says. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. So now he's, he's saying himself as an apostle, not a commandment from God, which, again, from the apostle, that's pretty, pretty important, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, so now he's going to talk about being married to an unbelieving spouse. If any wife has an unbeliever, who has, a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Likewise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So this is interesting. So let's talk about this, okay? All right, let's talk about it. First of all, there's a command concerning divorce. Paul reiterates the command from the Lord. Now, everybody knows this, right? The Lord doesn't want us to what? Divorce, okay? All right, the Lord doesn't want us to divorce. The command is that a person is not to divorce. That's the command. All right? A divorced person is to remain single or reconcile. Okay? That's his situation that he's in at his time. Now, are there exceptions? Yes. Let's be honest. There are exceptions. We live in a more modern time, and there are more 
Probably they existed even then, but we have more things going on like abuse and things like that. Do you understand? We understand. More than just sexual immorality. <clears throat> Paul tells the believing spouse not to leave if the unbelieving spouse wishes to stay. So now he's talking about a specific type of couple. He's talking about which would have existed where one person in the marriage relationship believes and the other doesn't. And there was pressure in their day to tell your unbelieving spouse, I'm out of here. You don't believe, I'm gone. Okay? And he's saying, if that unbelieving spouse wants to stay with you, what? Stay. Okay? Stay. Stay with them. All right? Don't divorce them. The Christian spouse was a channel of God's grace in that marriage. Now, when he talks about them being made holy, he's not saying that they're getting saved. That's not what he's talking about, that they're not, or that their children are not unclean or whatever. He's not talking about that they impart some sort of spiritual special thing on them because they're unbelieving. What he's saying, though, is, is that your presence is a vehicle of grace, God's grace, in that home with that spouse, male or female, or with those children, okay? You are a presence there among them, of God's presence among them. That, that's reality, and so you have that. In fact, another parallel passage, if you want to write this down, is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. P Peter gives some very specific instructions they're about a unbelieving wife, I mean a believing wife with her unbelieving husband, how they're to be. Okay? And the type of witness that you're to be. Alright? <clears throat> so he's saying a Christian spouse was a channel of God's grace in that marriage. Now, Paul tells the believer to let the unbelieving spouse leave if they wish. So here he's giving, to be honest with you. We know that sexual morality is a reason for divorce. We know that from Scripture. Paul's giving another reason here to allow divorce to happen. And that is if the what? The unbelieving spouse wants to leave. The believing spouse is now what? Free. They're not enslaved. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so now we see another instance. It's not just sexual immorality, but it's an unbelieving spouse saying, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. I'm gone. You know, I can't live like this. I'm out of here. And he's saying it's okay. All right? He's saying it's okay. So the Christian might use, might be used, the Christian might be used to help the unbelieving spouse experience salvation. So that unbelieving, that believing spouse in a home with an unbelieving spouse, she might be or he might be used to what? For that unbelieving spouse to come to the Lord. That's her ministry. Do you understand? It's to be a witness to that unbelieving spouse. All right, any questions so far or remarks? Okay. 
Which, by the way, can I, can I be honest with you? I, I've noticed this. As, I'll, I'll speak as a pastor, okay? In my 30 years of ministry, I've been here 22, and, and, and when I was in Canada pastoring there for four, I, you know, I, through the years, have met various couples who had an unbelieving spouse. We need to pray for them. That is the pain of their life, that their spouse doesn't know the same Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? And because that's what they want. They want their spouse to know Jesus. Because when they go into eternity, their spouse isn't going to be there. Do you understand? And so they want their spouse to know Jesus. And so the rest of us, we, we, we know, we're aware, but we need to pray. God, be gracious. Allow them to be the witness. Pray specifically. Just don't pray generalized prayers. Oh, I pray for the, un, you know. No, no, pray specifically so that they can come to know Christ. Because we all want what's best for each other, right? And having an unbelieving spouse come to know the Lord, that would be great. Because it's hard, okay? It's hard. So, so he's giving some instructions here about that. So any, any, anybody got a question so far? All right, Tim. Okay, that's what I'm saying. You're imparting grace. You're not giving them a special, like they're now special. They're like a third, a, there's the unbeliever who's lost, there's the believer, and now there's this third category of you're living with a you're, you know, you're married to a believer, but now you've got this special standing with God. It's not that you have a special standing. It's that you are imparting grace in their home. And, and let's be honest, when you talk about a believing spouse in a home, that means there are certain things not happening in their home that probably would happen if it was just an unbelieving home. Because you as the believing spouse are not going to engage in certain things. So therefore, you're, you're not going to do certain things. That's what he's really talking about. You're imparting grace. Okay? You're imparting grace. Is that helpful or have I caused more confusion with my answer? Okay? I see some smiles like, uh, maybe, George. Okay, we'll ask a question. We'll try to work this out, flesh this out more. Anybody else got a question? Yes? Yes, that's true. Yes, Lisa. And so because of that, okay, so, all right. Yes, okay, yeah, okay. So let me just stop for a moment, okay. Uh, let, me, let me go back 30 years, okay. So in July of 1993, I just recently married Lori the month before. I'm in an ordination council in West Columbia, South Carolina for my ordination at my home church okay so we have I have a bunch of a bunch of pastors from most of them are from South Carolina some from Virginia one from Canada and and I'm, I'm being asked these questions and, and the question you're always asked in an ordination council is okay what's your position on divorce and remarriage 
And um, so I gave the classic answer that is the appropriate answer. And uh, so, and all the men were, were silent. And finally, one of the men spoke up and said, okay, George, that's a good, that's the right answer. That's a good answer. Uh, and then he said, now you're going to find when you pastor, it's a, lot, it's a lot harder than you realize. So just giving answers is a, it, it, there's always some sort of what about this? Okay. And you know he's exactly right. Okay. Alright, because here's the fact. Okay, the fact is divorce is such a part of our culture. And some of you have been divorced. Okay? So how do you, how do you minister there? Well, you, you, you give God's standard. Here's God's standard. God's standard. Everybody knows. One man, one wife time. We all know that. That's the way it was from the beginning. Does divorce happen? Yes, divorce happens. Jesus said divorce happens. Why does divorce happen? Men's hearts. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to notice. I've never seen anywhere in the Scripture a condemnation of those who ended up in divorce. Have you ever seen that anywhere? No, I've never seen Jesus. He, he talked about it because of the hardness of men's hearts, but there's never a condemnation. So that doesn't mean you can just go do it. What he's trying to say is, is if you're married... Do everything you can to be married. Now, are you in a situation where maybe you have an abusive spouse or a husband? Yeah, that can be very much true. What do you do? I don't. Th I think you've got to do what you got to do for yourself. I don't think God's going to say you should have stayed and taken it. He doesn't do that. That's a wrong concept of God. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't. I don't. I've never yet seen that where you're supposed to take that. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So, I don't know, I, I think there's so many gray areas here. I think we know what we should be striving for, but we have to ask God's grace. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? It's just reality. Okay? Yes, Lori, what were you going to say? Yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, because we don't know everything. Did you understand? I mean, let's be honest, okay? All right, so I'm, I'm friends with Brad, friends with Bruce, friends with Tim, friends with Denny, friends with Rob, getting to know Jim, friends with Randy, friends with Mike, getting to know the Smeals, all right? Now, we're all friends, all right? But how much do we really know about each other? Do you know what I'm saying? How much do we really know? Anybody got an answer? All right, so do I know what goes on in your house? Do I know what goes on in your marriage? If I know anything, it's what you have what? Revealed. And again, like Tim said, that's just a small portion. So here's what I'm saying. So what needs to happen is is if a couple is struggling and I become aware of it, I can't be judgmental. I have to be what? Gracious, because do you have all the information? No. Did you understand what I'm saying? You, you've got to be gracious. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because I judging makes it seem like I 
know what it should be, right? And do we? No. Okay? So what, what we see here is Paul's giving us a standard. Now remember, what's the overall issue that he's trying to deal with here? He just talked about it earlier. What are these folks facing in their culture? Sexual immorality. So he's trying to tell them, look, this is how you combat it, and so make it work. But is it sometimes not workable? Yes, sometimes it is. Okay? Sometimes it is. All right. Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, just keep trying with them, you know. Yeah. Um, that's what you're supposed to do because this is what Scripture says. And I, I mean, I do understand, like, God has a plan, and his plan is perfect, and that would be a great thing to happen in somebody's life. That's such a blessing. But that doesn't always happen like that. No matter if you're married to somebody that's bad or good and you're divorced, it is a tearing of yes. soul. Yes, it is. It, it it's like a, like I've heard read years ago, and I that it's a living death. It's not like a death. It's a living death. Yes, yes. Does it continue? Yes. Yes. But okay. Yes. Now let let and you're exactly right because and, and I've got to stop. So I'll make this closing comment. Because for years, were divorced people accepted in church? No, they had, you might as well say they had AIDS. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because, and sometimes it might not even have been their fault. It may have been the other spouse's fault. But then they all become, do you understand? And I don't think that's what the Lord has intended. Yeah, So, so I think... What we have here is, is Paul saying, here's what God's standard is. Let's move to it. So, okay, Lisa, you and Brad have been married now a long, long time. Okay, so what? You move to that standard. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Where you're there for each other. Do you understand? That, that's the point. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. 